Welcome to Beer Me. I'm your host, Sarah Jane. Every week, I will have a guest on the show to discuss different parts of the beer world. From brewers, importers, educators, this will allow us to examine the dynamic world of beer through different lenses. Whether you're new to beer or a seasoned professional, we will have something for you. So I'm very excited for our show today. Um, As you hear in our intro, every single show, we like to look at the beer world through a lot of different lenses. And the beauty of the craft beer community specifically is that you encounter a lot of professionals that get involved in a lot of different things because I feel the craft beer community is filled with people who care about all the things, all the time, no matter what. So you end up with professionals who have their toes dipped in a lot of different waters. So today we are welcoming on the show Megan Seasted. She is the master of many things. She's a brewer, consultant, trainer, podcaster. She has a wide range of experience and has been involved in guilds and organizations anything and everything, beer, craft beer. Um, So Megan, first, I know you have a crazy schedule, so thank you for squeezing (laughs) us, and I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It was an awesome last-minute add to my my week. (laughs) So I've kind of brushed over all the things that you've done, all the things that you do. Explain to our listeners kind of how you got into beer and and what different things you've kind of tipped your toes in. Yeah, of course. Um, so I'm originally from Western New York um, in an area called Jamestown. And um, in that area, the brewery is Southern Tier Brewing Company, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners are familiar with. And um, I had a friend primarily introduce me to home brewing. And that kind of allowed me to like open my eyes that craft beer was an interesting thing. And I loved like the communal aspect. I loved how engaging people were with teaching one another. And with having Southern Tier right there, you know, I tried a few times to get hired, but I didn't. And then um, did a little bit of soul searching down here in Pittsburgh and then got offered a job. Um, and I, so I got my start at back at Southern Tier gluing boxes and labeling bottles. And um, from there, I pretty much just any opportunity I saw within the company I took, um, you know, I was able to move up to their bottling line. And then when I kind of got wind that they weren't, there wasn't like interest in like promoting me into like the seller so I could learn more. Um, I actually moved out to Oregon and started the fermentation science program at OSU. So they then hired me back. This is like <laughs> going really detailed here now, but um, I'll try to keep it brief. But uh, when I was back home on winter break, they ended up hiring me. So I was in my mid twenties at that point. So, you know, I feel like craft beer is an interesting thing because a lot of times you don't really know you can do it or it's like a possible career opportunity until you're like in your 20s and you probably already have some college under your belt and so on and so forth. So um, you pivot very um, quickly and you're oftentimes leaving behind like a career of sorts. So lucky for me, it did happen in my early 20s. I am thankful for that. Uh, From there, um, I was primarily working in the cellar with Southern Tier and then kind of wanted to see like what else I could do. And obviously having family and ties down here in Pittsburgh, I decided to move back down here. And that's where I first got my like official brewing role. And um, 
everything from there, I feel like just keeps getting progressive. Like each thing I try and I learn, um, builds off of the thing before that. So from there I ended up working at rock bottom as just their assistant brewer, but within a year was promoted to head brewer. And that I think was like a really pivotal moment for me because not only was I able to expand my own skill set, and, you know, my recipes were at the forefront, but also I learned how to like manage a team of brewers and, uh, stay, and I actually stayed with rock bottom for about five years in total. And then I was approached in 2019 from at, like with North country brewing company and they had a production manager role open. And I, again, I saw it as like an opportunity to grow in a different way and so when I saw that, I was like, you know what, I, I should do this. I should, you know, I, I don't know what else I could do here at rock bottom. So if I want to keep learning and growing, then I should go do that. And, uh, <clears throat> so I was at North country for just like maybe like two and a half years. And, um, during that time, which was really interesting is that I, so up to that point, I never had a formal education. I would take small classes here and there, like through the Brewers Association or like the White Labs short courses, um, anything I could really get my hands on. I still was always trying to learn and grow as a brewer and um, was able to finally actually get a certification while I was at North Country. And I feel like at that point, it was one of those things where I'm like, I don't know if I need this now, but I felt like... I should have something. And it was great because I did learn new stuff and it affirmed a lot of things that I had learned up to that point as well. Um, and it's a great network of people. I went through the American Brewers Guild if I didn't say that already. So that was really cool. And uh, so now I'm basically kind of floating and helping out some people. And uh, the most recent project I've been working on is working with um, a barley grower and a malt company who um, they're trying to like really grow right now. So I've basically been doing a research project um, to kind of basically provide them some, some reports on how they can grow better and do and serve our community a little bit better. So that's been what I'm doing recently. Um, I do on the download have uh, my own project um, that I'm working on as far as a brewery goes. Um, I, had to, I had to consult with my business partner because I was like, what can I say and what can I say? And um, there, it's not in its infancy at this point, but uh, there's not enough details to really start um, talking about it full scale. So I will not push you on it, but know that something exciting is coming. So um, you you had mentioned the malt production. And for listeners, I do want to shout out a couple of shows ago, we did a fantastic one with Jeff O'Neill from Industrial Arts Brewing Company, where we did a deep dive into local malt production, uh, specifically in the Hudson Valley and how important kind of craft uh, maltsters are. But so Megan, I kind of want to take the listeners through all the transitions that you've been through. Um, because the thing is, is so part-time, um, I'm a facilitator for eCornell they have certifications for, um, you know, different levels of beer education. And I've noticed that a lot of my students who are taking the more technical classes, so that's like malt evaluation, water profiles, that kind of thing. A lot of them are homebrewers that have been homebrewing for a long time that want to make that jump into professional brewing or people who are just new to homebrewing and just have completely caught the bug and are like, this is what I want to do with my life, right? And so I kind of want people to understand what each of those transitions looked like. So is that cool? Awesome. So when you first started 
home brewing and you had kind of caught that bug and you were excited, what was the transition like from home brewing to working at a professional brewery? What were some challenges or? I, I always have to preface it this that um, the time and place of when I was getting to the craft beer industry is a much different landscape than it was, is now. So we're talking a little over 11 years ago. And knowing like then is a lot of like who you knew. And I think there's still a little bit of that now where um, you could get a job at a brewery just by showing up and be like, hey, how are you? I like craft beer and will you give me a job? And I think there's a tiny bit of that now um, still because I think there's something important about developing and building relationships with people and um, potential employers. Um, but I also still like always like saying that if anyone asks me ever where to start, I always say, read as much as you can. If you can afford taking a class or can find a scholarship, go that route first. But for me, um, so I didn't homebrew that much either, I should add. So that just kind of gave me the inclination or I guess like ego at that point that I was like, yep, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to find um, find a way in. And um, But I think that attitude was what kind of helped progress me throughout my entire career is that no matter what I needed to do to be in this industry is what I did, whether that how I was like working long hours, working for really bad pay. So for me, um, I walking into a job where literally for eight hours of a day, I am gluing boxes and labeling bottles, probably hands down one of the most boring jobs I've ever had in my entire life. And I mean, I had the most fun just because of the relationships I built with my coworkers. And then kind of even getting, seeing an opportunity to work on their bottling line. My job literally was to pull bottles off of a line for eight hours a day, 40 hours a week. And, you know, with one or two breaks in the day or, you know, whatever the minimum was at that point. And um, these jobs can be very mundane. They can be very tiring physically, mentally. And um, so for me, seeing that, it was very eye-opening, but... I never questioned it because I was like, oh, this is just what I have to do. This is what I have to do if I want to keep growing. And I also was the type of person and still am is that if I'm in an environment, I will always ask if anyone else needs help before. If I'm done doing my work, I'm always asking someone if they need help with something or if there's something I can do to make their day shorter. Because I think that's really important. Um, It's something that I've, I haven't seen a lot in a lot of brewers that I've trained over the years that that's not necessarily ingrained, but I think in that way of like, I always felt like I kind of had to prove myself, whether that was because I was a female or I just genuinely thought that's how the industry goes. I just never stopped doing that. I have, it's a similar experience in restaurants. And I had a manager once who was talking to somebody, we were working in a restaurant where there was like kitchen servers, assistant servers, servers, captains, like that was kind of the hierarchy. And this guy wanted to go from assistant server to server. And the manager was like, if you want to go to the next step, you have to be the very best at what you're doing now. So I feel like it's that similar mentality. You're like, okay, I want to be at the next step. So I'm going to be the best damn box gluer that they ever did see. I find it so interesting that you use as an example. I just had a conversation um, with a colleague yesterday for one of the podcasts that I do called Pursuit of Unhappiness. And he's in the craft beer industry, but he had a culinary background first. And he, this is one of these things that we actually talked about is kind of like skill sets that trans translated over. For sure. I it's and and the more and more I hear 
you know, I, I, I have never full disclosure. I've never worked on the, on the brewery production side of things, but the more I hear, the more I understand, I'm like, man, it, it feels, it has a kitchen feel like as a former line cook, I'm like, Oh, okay. I, yeah. It's the same, 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 you know? Yeah. I, I, I kind of, I'll add this too for like listeners who, if we're talking about people wanting to get into this too, is that I, I, I think that's great what you just said though, because what I hear oftentimes from people who are just getting into the industry is that there's this fear of speaking up or saying something that could possibly improve a process. And I always made it a point where if I heard someone say that, I'd be like, stop, no. No matter what your background is, there is probably something that can translate to this job. Whether it's thinking about how to make tasks more efficient or a cleaning process that might help improve the flow of the day, whatever it could possibly be. Um, I have to say that with just an asterisk being like, yeah, don't be egotistical like you're a know-it-all, but uh, still be willing to speak up because that's being part of a team. And if you're too scared to say something, then the team can't grow. And also, you know, if you're starting from, you know, starting from the bottom, working your way up, if you come to the table, you know, let's say you get your feet wet for a couple of weeks and you notice a couple of things like, hey, if we organize the boxes like this, I think it would move a little faster. You suggest it at the right time. You suggest it with the right tone. You suggest it, you know, to your manager or whatever. If they're responsive and say like, oh, hey, you know what? That's not such a bad idea. Let's maybe try that next week. But if you're met instantly with shut up, keep your mouth shut, that also gives you a good indication of what the culture is like. And it, and it should be a red flag of, mm, you know, maybe this is maybe this uh, ladder is not worth the climb, you know? Yeah, no, no, I totally agree. Yeah, I, I, I've definitely worked in those environments where like you, your opinion doesn't feel valued, but um, I think you grow and you get a little bit mentally stronger if you at least just keep speaking up, you know, because I always look at problems like that kind of like you either solve it, accept it, or you leave and you probably are going to go through all three before you leave it. And those type of behaviors, I think, can definitely um, push a person out. You know, people don't people don't quit jobs, they quit managers. So, so when you made the leap from boxes and labels and um, you know, a little more of a mundane task to brewing. Mm-hmm. How did that transition go? So uh, it, it was an interesting and kind of maybe not totally hazy because it just like happened so quickly. So I pretty much went from in September moving out to Oregon in December, coming back for winter break and January moving back from Oregon and was pretty much just like, working a normal shift by that point. And I I learned probably so much that applies to my life now in so many different facets. Like, um, so I was doing production work. So to be clear, um, the difference, if we're talking about production work, pub work, like these are all have different, um, they're different animals. And in production work, it's like, okay, you have this set of tasks. You need to take care of X amount of beers, make sure you get it done in your shift or however it works for you. So, um, I had a great schedule where it was like three and four days, just 12 hour shifts. Even those, most of those end up being a lot longer cause I was a noob. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so um, going from that to production and then just making the decision that 
I didn't really like production work at that time. I was like, this is a lot. I don't like the environment. I wasn't super happy with the culture at that time. Um, and it was just a lot, you know? Uh, so moving down to Pittsburgh, I found it very interesting because uh, Pittsburgh, you know, 10 years ago now, it was a completely different land animal. Like uh, there might've been only no more than 15 breweries here. And I'm saying that's the tri-county area. So before moving down, not, I didn't see anyone hiring at all, but what I did do was literally email every single brewery that I knew existed saying, Hey, this is my background. I am moving. I am coming. Um, and if you have something available now or in the future, just please keep me in mind. And I had like almost maybe like between four connections, two of them led to interviews and one led to the job. And so I was like, cool, this is just what I did. Um, and so I found that transition pretty powerful too, because I think it taught me that like I can kind of create my own <laughs> create my own reality in a lot of ways. I can be tenacious enough and people will see that and like that. So, um, and that led to me when I started working at Rivertown, which Rivertown was bought by another brewery called Helltown just within the last five years and whatnot. But, uh, but yeah, so I was in a pub environment and that taught me just so much. I was able, I had really great people like who were kind of mentoring me and, uh, they really broke down like really how to create recipes, how to take care of beer differently, you know? how to clean lines. Like I, I learned so many different things working with them and I, I really value that period. Um, I just knew there was kind of like, again, a ceiling where I was like, there's not much more I can do here. And I would like more opportunity in my life, whether that means it's here in Pittsburgh or elsewhere. And I saw rock bottom as that opportunity. So when you were really digging into the production role and you mentioned, you know, you had mentors, you learned a lot. You were a sponge, but um, was it more of you seeking out that knowledge as far as like, hey, teach me how to do this? Hey, how do I do this? Or was it them taking the time like, hey, I want you to come see this? You know what I mean? Was it or was it equal? No, it was a lot of me. Like I was taught my job. I was taught how to do things, but Anything that I wanted to learn, I was always seeking out, whether that was through podcast books or asking questions. And do you think that is because 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 for me, when I when I think about, you know, when I when I used to have a team that I would manage education and, you know, personal improvement, professional improvement, like that was always something I really, really focused on. And so a lot of it was like, you know, pulling a server aside and being like, hey, you really have a knack for this wine thing. Is this something you really like? Like, can we dig into this a little bit? Can I give you some books? Like, what do you want to do here? And and I feel like if if leaders aren't reaching down for that and trying to pull people up, it's a massively missed opportunity. So do you find that that's lacking? I mean, in I don't want you to like lop everyone together, but do you think is it harder to find leaders like that or, or do you see more changing? So I, I think it's an interesting question because I think overall management is really, really hard. Like that's been one of my biggest takeaways from the last, you know, six years of my, or I guess almost seven years of my life. And, um, 
it takes a lot not only to like not take something personal from someone who works for you, but also have to learn who they are as a person and manage them the way they need to be managed. So as far as me seeing other managers or like brewery owners doing that type of thing, I don't know if I see it a lot. But again, I'd have only been managed by so many people. And if there are breweries doing it, I want to say keep doing it. And if there's breweries not doing it, I say, you know, do it. Um, I think this industry is very busy. A lot of breweries, I feel like, are very much so stretched thin, like a lot. So if I were to like make an educated guess, I would probably say there's probably less of that happening and more of like, let me teach you how to do the job. And when something happens, I will teach you. And, um, versus like, Hey, I see something in you. Let me take time away to like train you on something different. Is that, if that's a fair assessment? No, no. And I, if I'm wrong, I would like to be wrong. (laughs) I would like to be wrong about that. No. And I appreciate that. And, you know, as you transitioned into a role where you are managing other brewers and you could kind of see people come up and, you know, see people, you know, being as tenacious as you were when you were coming up. And I have found that, you know, even in the DC area, I've talked to a handful of brewery owners and like over the years, like you can see a culture shift just, and I'm just speaking from a DC's perspective, right? Like for those of you out there in the world, I'm not saying this is the entirety of the craft beer world, but from a DC perspective, you've seen a culture shift, right? Like a lot of them have you know, there's a, there's a couple of them that have gotten sober. There's a couple of them that, you know, really think about how they're interacting with their employees, you know, whether it's been the beer me too movement that's happened, that has them kind of reevaluate how things are structured and, you know, okay, I guess we need to have some policies in place, you know, but you're seeing that mindset kind of shift. I mean, there's even some major breweries um, that have multiple locations around the U S that, all of a sudden you see a, a big focus on like, all right, so we have an HR director and we're building out, you know, different culture. Like there is a very hopeful shift happening from my perspective, but are you finding that? Are you yeah. kind of seeing that shift happening? I think yes. And no. I think, um, the conversations are different. Um, so two years ago, I was elected to the board of directors for our state brewers guild. And I just recently, well, not only with the job shift and, um, my term was up anyway, I stepped away, but I worked on our equity and inclusion committee. And like, even just two years ago, we were starting to address some stuff related to this, like beer me too movement that instituted that we worked for the next like year and a half or so after that on like a more detailed instructional code of conduct for, are just state guilt to protect like members when they go to events, et cetera. And then all of a sudden, you know, we have that what happened a year ago where it, it was just a different type of conversation where um, like I was one of the first female brewers here in this County. And so, but I also being so early on here, I developed a lot of relationships with brewers in our area and like having some of them want to reach out and have different conversations and like have me, like talk to me about issues that might come up, I think definitely was a shift that I never thought was, would happen. And, um, one thing like right before I stepped down from that board, we started working with this woman named Tanaj Moody and she spoke at our last symposium. And 
I've never seen people so captivated by someone who was just like, she walked into the conversation because I was like, when I was setting this up with her, I was like, hey, we should probably focus on allyship because if we're talking about how do we make actual change in this industry, we really have to focus on the, the male identifying people in our industry. That means allyship. That means like, how do they support us and how do they do better themselves? And I think she did the most amazing job at being sympathetic, understanding, and not um, combative. And I've never, that room, like it, the meeting went like longer, probably at least 15 minutes longer because people just kept on wanting to talk. People kept on wanting to ask questions because they, people are in my mind, curious. And what I learned even over those two years was that with this going on is we can't assume someone just knows. There, So there is a level, I think, of ignorance and naivety like in what's happening, but people also don't know where to start and where to go. And I'm not speaking for everyone. I'm just speaking for that's like the viewpoint that I take in the work that I want to do with it is that if I focus on that you should know better attitude that no one's going to listen. And that's been my experience and watching it then happen where she approached them, understanding that they needed a safe space to talk and talk through things and not feel judged. And, um, it was amazing. It was really beautiful. And our guild actually is working with her all year on doing these, like, I think they're doing quarterly calls with her. And, um, I think it's awesome. I think it's great. I think you need to create those environments to openly talk about all of this so people can learn and grow. Cause I think people want to, I would like, and I think like the people who don't are just not, you know, they're not going to try, you know, like it, they're going to have to go through their own experience to realize that there's something different that they can think. I've, I, I recently got to participate in a women in craft beer event at other half brewing at a, in DC and it was, I mean, it was amazing. They did a great job and, you know, shout out to all my fellow panelists. It was, it was a real privilege, but the thing that I love is, so we're talking with a lot of these, uh, basically we got to go to all these different tables and people could ask us a bunch of questions. And the thing I absolutely loved was there was a handful of women there who were Gen Z, right? And so definitely younger and the thing I love about the younger generation is that they are so fucking bold. Like they are bolder than I would have ever had the balls to be. And one of them, I just, I mean, I love them. I adore how they just like, they're like, everything's fucked. Let's, you know, let's just be real. And I, I kind of love that. Um, but I was talking to this one woman and she goes, we were talking about how women get mistreated, uh, you know, when they're, when they're working in breweries or when they're working in, in beer bar situations that, you know, they're not taken as seriously, that kind of thing. And she looks at me, she goes, how long have you been having this exact same conversation? And I was like, I was like, uh, about 20 years. And she goes, she's like, when are we going to stop having this exact same conversation? And I was like, all right, first off, you're right. Secondly, never lose this spunk. Like never let anybody beat this out of you. Like you're phenomenal. But thirdly, like we have to keep having the conversation. You have to keep having the conversation. And I know, I know it gets old or mundane or whatever and exhausting and frustrating, but like you have to keep talking about it. You have to keep bringing it up. You have to keep having the conversation so that it never goes away. That because when, as soon as you stop talking about it, they're like, well, all right, I guess it's fixed. 
right? Or I guess they're fine. Um, so shout out to the Gen Z ladies who are amazing. Seriously, I, I can totally agree with that. I, I I love seeing the enthusiasm that I feel like there might be potential for a world to be saved a little bit. But um, but yeah, no, I can totally agree. And the only thing I want to add on top of what you just said was that I think because I feel the exact same way is that I've been literally talked like I've had people talk to me about what it's like to be a female in this industry for, you know, over 11 years, though the conversations have shifted a little bit, thankfully, that they're not just like, how's it to be a lady in the bear industry? It's, you know, it's more like a little bit more engaging. Yep. It's, uh, I, I feel like I'd like to feel like everyone else, but you keep asking me these dumb questions. Um, I think people are catching on to that, but, um, the only thing that I definitely had acknowledgement, uh, last year, actually, uh, when, Everything broke loose under brands like Instagram page. And this is, is the, the just for listeners, this is the call out that happened with uh Brian Allen and her uh Instagram handle Rat Magnet that kind of launched the BRB2 movement. Yeah. No, totally. Um I I didn't so I was not only like chairing this committee, but also like I don't think I recognize like I I felt I feel a lot of obligation to women here in Pittsburgh and like not in a negative way. It's just like it's just innate maybe like mama bear. Maybe it's more grandmother at this point even though I'm definitely not old enough to be that way, but like that's the feeling is that when something like this happens, all I want to do is wrap everyone up in a little towel and cuddle and be like it's going to be okay. We're going to get through this. And but what happened is that I have to stress so much that you still have to take care of yourself. So it was like a few, I had just gotten back from a vacation and then had to dive right into all of this stuff. Like literally I was getting on a plane when I started seeing the, um, stories from Brienne and I was like, Oh God, something's happening. And, uh, got back and dove right in, but so, but I didn't address like how I felt or what I was dealing with or what I've experienced that, it it's a lot of energy to do the work. And if you're up for doing the work, do it because everyone, we need it. But remember to find the balance and take care of yourself and address your own needs too within that because it's only going to make your message stronger. It's going to make you stronger. You're going you're gonna to be able to be more flexible. Um, all the good things because I pretty much just crashed and I was like, Almost a month later after that all happened, I was like, guys, I need to take a minute. I, I need to I need to not do this for a minute. I need to not talk to anyone. I don't want anyone to talk to me about this. Um, and, and But that was my reaction to it because I wasn't taking care of myself. I was like making sure everyone else was okay because that to me was still really important. That's the only thing I wanted to add on it is, but again, it goes back to my um, pressure for inner work. Yeah. Take care of yourself. But sure, like, I have a friend of mine who always says, put your air mask on before you put other people's air mask on. Like when, you know, when you're on an airplane, um, they say that for a reason. reason. (laughs) Um, well, Megan, I could talk to you for hours and hours because you're phenomenal. Um, but unfortunately we do have a time limit here on beer me. (laughs) Totally fine. Before I do my adorable little wrap up, I'd really love for you to shamelessly plug both of your podcasts because I think that people should check them out. Okay. Yeah. I'll just say overall, if you want to follow me on anything and follow the things I do, follow me on Instagram, Megan from the Black Lagoon, spelled out exactly how it sounds. 
Um, but if you want to follow my Halloween horror podcast, uh, hosted by Brian Reed, who's a master Cicerone and Steve, I really honestly don't know his last name, so I'm embarrassed now, but he has a podcast called Hop Nation. Um, oh wait, no, I do his last name. I can't pronounce it. It's fine. <laughs> Anywho, um, Halloween is forever is that podcast. We have a lot of fun, a lot of laughing, a lot of beer, a lot of snacks, the whole nine. Um, and then my other one that you can follow through Megan from the Black Lagoon is called Pursuit of Unhappiness. And I interview a lot of industry professionals, beer industry professionals and uh, musicians and artists. And we literally talk about life. We talk about stoicism. We talk about how do you got to where you were and the lessons you learned along the way. So, yep, that's me. I love it. Everyone, please follow and listen to her amazing podcast. I'm going to check out this Halloween one. I'm, I'm very excited about that. It's so fun. I get made fun of a lot. It's good. In the best ways possible. (laughs) Well, thank you again, um, Megan. Listeners, this has been another another episode of Beer Me Radio. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, please reach out at Beer Me Radio on Instagram or beermeradio at gmail.com. Please like, follow, subscribe, give all the stars anywhere that you get your podcasts. But thank you so much for tuning in and we will catch you next time. Cheers. Cheers.